Think Red Ink Ministries presents The Words of Jesus series with Don C. Harris Hello friends and welcome once again to the Words of Jesus series brought to you by the Think Red Ink Ministries located in Pytown, New Mexico. I'm Don Harris, I'll be your host. And uh, my job is to carry us through the red ink. And hopefully, as we get to be more and more familiar with what Jesus said, it will overlay and perhaps obscure. And perhaps if we're very, very fortunate, it will erase completely some of the silly ideas that we've gathered over the years, that we've carried around with us, that makes our theology extremely imperfect. And, um, well, we, we find that when... The more we try to trust our theology and our doctrine and, and try to worship our God, we find that uh, it becomes more and more unfeasible to do so. And it's simply because we have preconceived ideas. Uh, and uh, we've been told that this is the way it is. And we've heard uh, this particular uh, set of words or questions or sentences or paragraphs or whatever the, the sayings that we say to one another when we have our little troubles and, and uh, problems in life and, and our, our lackings and slackings and, and all, you know, all the problems that come about. Um, and when we seek Christian counsel, we get those uh, cliches and those trite sayings that don't really seem to help. It just seems like the, most, the more pressure that we put on our understanding of our Christianity, the more it fails us. Um, I see people all the time that are just as happy as they can be with their Christian life, but mostly it's because they have a, a very satisfying physical life or secular life. They, uh, they enjoy the job they do, they enjoy the clothes they wear, they enjoy their families, they enjoy their sports, they enjoy their vacations, they enjoy... And it has very little to do with a, with a serious and um, uh, most solemn joy from the inside. The joy that comes from the inside is strictly gained through regeneration and through our relationship with God. Uh, so that all the other things, all the superfluous things in life, all the things that, well, essentially we feel is, is necessary um, for a happy life, become very unnecessary. They become secondary to us. And uh, as problems come to us in life, if we've lived according to his commandments, we're, we're not sinning every day, and we're not, uh, you know, depending on his, what we call grace, which is, which is an incorrect definition. We'll talk about that, no doubt. Um, but uh, when we depend on grace and forgiveness and mercy and and we're always depending upon God loving us so much that he's going to forgive us of anything we do. Uh, when we find ourselves depending on that a lot, it's because we are constantly disappointing God. <laughs> and we just need to stop that. We need to live lives that are not necessarily victorious in our, in our secular living, not necessarily victorious in our social standing or in our financial standing, but we need to live victorious lives in that when we lay our head on our pillow at night, we say, not I've accomplished this and this and this and this, which I have a tendency to do, <laughs> but 
we need to be able to say, I've pleased God today. I've done what he wanted me to do. I've been faithful to what he's called me to do. And I've done it with all my might and with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And um, and we can feel like that it's a pleasurable thing for God to even look at us and evaluate our lives. Do you realize that that is possible? I know that when we spend time before the Lord, we understand His majesty and His might and who He is and who we are. It can get, well, a little discouraging when we compare ourselves in His light. And there's there are times for that. But it's not God's intention to constantly um, transmit to us His disfavor. Um, as a father... Uh, Sometimes, you know, I, I find myself, because I want the best, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking now of, of conversations I have with my daughter sometimes, and, 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 I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, just back off. <laughs> just, you know, can't, can't you just give them, let them up to breathe a little bit. And, um, and I find that to be uh, a characteristic of my God. Sometimes uh, I know there's things in my life that need to be worked out. I know there's things that he needs to reveal to me, things I need to change my mind on, change my attitude about. But sometimes uh, he's very, very good to me. And uh, he covers me with his hand. And uh, we can spend time in fellowship. And, and uh, hey, good job you did out there on that uh, whatever it was that I did. Well, thank you, Father. <laughs> I appreciate that. I do it for you. Um, this is the kind of relationship that we should have with our Father. But you can't have that if every encounter with Him has to do with you crying out for forgiveness for slipping and falling or for doing what you knew you shouldn't do or breaking His commandments and all this kind of thing. It's just a matter of, well, I hate to say it because it sounds so crass, but it's a matter of our will. It's a matter of our will to please God and to keep His commandments and to do what is right. Uh, it's just, it's the right thing to do and it's going to require effort on our part and we just need to do it. Just do it. I love the scripture in, uh, in Sirach that says, you can keep the commandments if you choose to, if you want to. Uh, and uh, you, you, can, you can keep the commandments and, you know, when you realize, I can keep the commandments, all of a sudden you find yourself without excuse for not keeping them. Um, uh, that verse goes on to say, God has not given any man, any man, permission to sin. We've had churches, huge churches, as a matter of fact, the largest church in the world, um, involve themselves in essentially giving permission to sin. Now, although the Protestants may condemn the Catholics for the, for the ages and the times of indulgences and, and actually prepaying for sin, um, we're not clear in this matter. The Protestants are not clear in this matter. Um, we have taught people that it doesn't matter what you do or how long you do it. Um, if, uh, I mean, even if it's wrong, God, He always forgives, His mercy endures forever. And all you have to do is ask and you can be forgiven and these kind of things, essentially giving people license and permission to sin. You do not have that. 
And we need not live like we do because we don't. If you want that joy that comes from inside, and, and not necessarily the joy that I've seen Christians living in, that everything in their life is just wonderful. And so they just say, thank you, Jesus. And so their, their secular life becomes uh, some kind of an extension of their, their Christianity. And if good things happen to them, if they're comfortable, um, you know, you, you might feel like that it's, it's faithful of them and good of them to thank the Lord for that. But our scriptures teach us to thank the Lord in everything. There's only one way to thank the Lord in tribulation and in lack and in want and in, in peril. There's only one way to do that. And that is to live a clean life before him. And that way when troubles do happen, um, it's, it's not a matter of sitting around and wringing our hands and wondering, you know, what have I done to deserve this? Um, if, you are, if that thought does occur to you, by the way, it's a great indicator that you're not keeping his commandments. You're not doing what you know to do. Because if you were doing what you knew to do, and you were doing what uh, you were sure was the right thing to do, I tell you, those thoughts won't cross your mind. Not in illness, not in disease, not in troubles, not in strife, not in financial reversals, not in, uh, in, in social disorder, social disruption, political problems, troubles with the world, crops that fail, houses that burn. The list is pretty long. But I assure you that if you live a life that is pleasing to God, and he's made it clear how to, how to do exactly that, keep my commandments. If you do that, uh, those thoughts won't even occur to you. And, and through that, you'll find the strength to get through it. But that's where joy comes from. Not necessarily from having all of our ducks in a row and uh, making sure our insurance is all paid up and those kind of things. You know, there's a lot about those things that uh, are included in responsible living, but uh, that's not necessarily, necessarily the joy that awaits uh, the Christian. There's a joy on the other side of that that if you've never experienced it, you should make it your hobby to find out what it is. Jesus, uh, uh, matter of fact, we're reading from our book, uh, The Words of Jesus, and our scriptures are coming from um, Matthew 4 and Mark 1 and Luke 4. And this is chapter 4 of our little book, uh, the title of which is Jesus and His Message Rejected at Nazareth. Let me read to you. Hearing that John had been cast into prison... Jesus returned to Galilee. He began to preach the gospel of God in the synagogue, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. We talked about John the Baptist uh, at length in, in previous sessions. And um, I, I want you to remember that Jesus' evaluation of John was that he was the greatest prophet that was ever born of woman. And I was explaining to you that that greatness had to do with, has to do with, the prophecies that John expounded and exposed to the, the Jewish world in those days. You remember what his 
message was. It was change is coming. Change. You're going to have to change. That temple's changing. That church is changing. The synagogue's changing. Everything around us is changing. The way you did it before is not the way we're going to do it now. And when Jesus got news of John the Baptist being beheaded, he turned and said, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Jesus actually reiterated the, the, the crux or the foundation of, of John's message. It's time to repent. It's time to change. And we're going to have to believe the gospel. The, the gospel has been defined in many different ways as well. Uh, it's, it's one of the words that we define in seminary. And unfortunately, we carry those definitions with us for the rest of our lives. Some people feel like the gospel is, uh, and some people have... Um, have uh, vilified the word gospel, saying that it has the word spell in it. Uh, there's, uh, there are people who have exalted the word gospel, saying that it includes all that Jesus ever did or said. Some people have said that the gospel is simply taking some poor sinful creature down what we call, or has been called, the Roman road which is um, when you, you take a, a rank sinner and you show him this scripture and then this one and then this one and then this one, you have him repeat it and you have him read it. And, and it, it all amounts to, you know, none of us are perfect and, uh, and we all need to be born again. And if we would just ask Jesus to come into our hearts that we're saved, um, which is a, uh, I mean, if I might say so, just for the sake of time, it would take two or three hours to talk to to take this this idea apart, but uh, the truth is is that is a pitiful representation of the gospel. The gospel um, being being translated the good news, um, I understand that, but I think the good news is just about as vague <laughs> as the word gospel. What is the gospel? What is, what is that all about? Well, uh, John started preaching the gospel. And uh, it was that the way things were are not the way they're going to be. And uh, things are about to change, and they're going to change. I always thought, and, and I hope you think, that they're going to change for the better. Um, it will be for our betterment if we obey the gospel and if we believe the gospel. But uh, the gospel also contains some very, very bad news <laughs> for people who, um, who actually refuse to go his way. The, I have always felt that the opening words to the gospel of John, see, we call, we call each of those um, the first four books of the New Testament, the stories of Jesus' life, we call them Gospels. Um, uh, these kind of things are... I know you've done this all your life, and perhaps you've been a Christian since you were seven, but uh, there's people out there in the world 
today that's never picked up a Bible, never walked in a church, they care nothing about it. And uh, when they do feel some call on their life, they go towards spiritualism. And uh, they don't understand these words, and they don't even care to find out what they are. The reason they don't care to find out what they are is that they have found that people who use this kind of language are not exemplars in the faith. They're not people that we want to be like or to to mimic or to uh, even associate with in a lot of cases. But um, the word gospel um, uh, ha- has many meanings, but I've always felt like that uh, at the beginning of John's gospel, he he just nails this down so that it, it's it's hard not to see it. Uh, he says that in the beginning was the Word. Now, we don't really understand that completely, but we do know that um, that in the beginning, when God created this world, that He did it, the Bible says, by the Word of God. Now, many times people have taken that and, and uh, attached that to the scripture that says, and God said, and God said, and God said. You remember how creation took place. God said, let there be light. God said, let the waters divide. God said, let the, you, you remember how this goes. And, and some people have, have taken the scripture that says that he created the word. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And, um, but even further investigation into the creation, you'll find out that when it's speaking of the Word of God, it's talking about none other, none other than who we know now as Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. He is, was, the creator of this earth. He is, was, the head of the family of man on this earth. And, um, and uh, this is... Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, it's, it's irrefutable. You'd have to close your eyes to a lot of scriptures to not understand that it was Jesus who created man. It was Jesus who walked with Adam in the cool of the day. I realize this was all before he took on a body in his pre-incarnate form, but, um, but we have to understand that it was he who, who um, met with uh, Abraham. He was, it was he who wrote the commandments in stone with his finger. Um, friends, Jesus has been around a long, long time. And uh, we need not think that he suddenly appeared on December 25th uh, or any other date. Uh, We need not think that this is when he appeared uh, because uh, that's really not so. 17th chapter of John, the disciples hear him praying in the garden and evidently record this later. Uh, where Jesus is praying to the Father and saying, Restore to me the, jo- the, the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. Now that's, that's an interesting thought in itself. So whoever this being was, I, I, I don't suppose that he had the name Jesus when he was there in that, in that time. Um, he could have. But I don't suppose, I always thought that name was conferred upon him for his namesake, uh, Joshua or Yeshua, um, uh, in, in the Old Testament, who actually led people out of, uh, out, out of bondage, out of the wilderness, and into the promised land. Uh, 
So um, we, we find that Jesus uh, actually is, um, or at least has been, around for a long, long time. And, um, and when the Bible says that, we, that, that the worlds were created by the Word of God, you will understand as, as you study this out that, my goodness, this is not saying that uh, it was just uh, God who we we incorrectly call God by a by a, a name that is not a nominative name at all. It's a descriptive name, uh, but unfortunately, the King James is kind of brainwashed us to call him God all the time. Um, I, I guess it's like uh, saying boss to the guy you work for instead of calling him by his name. I guess, but nevertheless. Uh, when the Bible says that uh, that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, we kind of think that God, Jehovah, the Father God, uh, that when He spoke these things into existence, that this is what John is referring to. But the truth is, um, or, or at least uh, my understanding of this and, and revelation of this was, is that when the Bible says that we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, it was talking about Jesus Christ Himself. Now, from the very beginning, I think it's interesting that uh, as John starts his gospel, he starts at the beginning. Um, and he tells the story, essentially, of creation and, um, and, and says that uh, this, this is where Jesus was. Let me, let me give you a little history on this guy. And so he's telling us uh, where Jesus uh, essentially came from, that he is our creator, and he is the father of all living. Uh, as a matter of fact, when it was prophesied that he would come, have you ever been a little confused about one of the titles that was given him? The, you know, it says that he was going to be a counselor, and he was going to, um, they, they gave him one name after another, and one of them was the everlasting father. Now, you know, we all know that, that um, I mean, even the Trinitarian doctrine won't take Jesus and say that he is the Father. There are some Jesus-only de uh, denominations that will. But um, I don't know of anyone other than them, I guess, or, or people like him, people like them, um, that would even equate Jesus Christ with the Father. But how did he get the title that he's going to be wonderful counselor. And then everlasting father is in the list of what we're going to call him. Well, he's everlasting father because he's the father of all living. He's, he's, the, he's the creator of mankind. And um, he, he laid down whatever rights he had to mankind and the earth in order to come here and redeem it. John continues in, in the first chapter of John that he came unto his own and his own received him not. Who was his own? Was it not the people that he chose, uh, the, the children of Israel, of Jacob, that had the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Jacob? These were the people that God chose to be his people. And, and occupy his city, uh, his, his land. And um, 
the, when it says that he came unto his own, um, this was not just a, a drop-in visit by, oh, look, the Lord's come to visit us. He came to his own for a purpose. And if you, if you hold these thoughts as you read the scripture, you will see the purpose uh, clearly understood at the end of this, of this scripture. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he what he came to bring to his own. All right. I'm changing the scripture a little bit. But I want you to understand that that is exactly what this scripture is trying to tell us. That he came unto his own to bring them the power to become the sons of God. But they rejected him. So he opened that opportunity to essentially the whole world. Anyone who is called of God and, uh, and answers that call um, has the ability, by, according to the scripture, he gives them the ability to become a child of God. Now, friend, you know what I just described? I know you, I know you look in your Bible dictionary and you, you find the word grace and everybody knows what it says in there because we've all read it a hundred times. We've heard it said a thousand times. But the truth is that grace is not unmerited favor. John just described grace in the first chapter of his book. And that was, he came into his own, his own received him not to it, but to as many as received him, to them gave he grace. The power to become a child of God. Friend, that's something that you did not have aforetime. This is something we need to thank the Lord God for. Because this is, this is the greatest news that could ever happen. If, if we take that and understand that to be the gospel, that's when we understand, oh my goodness, there's, there's a dark side to this. What about those who received him not? Well, we're going to talk about those things. Jesus talks about those things in no uncertain terms. And as we get more and more familiar with the red ink, man, it's all going to be indelibly imprinted in your brain. <laughs> That's right. You're going, to, you're going to find yourself thinking red ink. You're also going to find that your life's going a little smoother and uh, things are just better for you than they've ever been. Well, our time is gone today, and uh, so we'll join you here again. Uh, if you'll become a part of what we're doing here, we'd love to have you. I hope you're enjoying the Words of Jesus series. If, you wanna, if you'd like to get in contact with us, we would really like to know that you're listening. Uh, just send an email to Don at thinkredink.com or write to Think Red Ink Ministries at P.O. Box. 718 Pytown, New Mexico 87827 Alright, so you've got questions you're trying to understand uh, exactly what the Lord wants you to do here's the advice Think Red Ink We'll see you next time, bye bye You've been listening to Don C. Harris of Think Red Ink Ministries Email Don at thinkredink.com. That's thinkredink.com.
join us again for the next episode in the Words of Jesus series.